cruising through the end times. And um, the end times, again, a lot, a lot of fun. We're specifically dropping anchor um, in Revelation. And we're walking through this crazy thing right now called the tribulation. And um, if you guys haven't gotten one of these, we gave you um, a while back the tribulation timeline. And right now we're in one of those um, parenthesis moments where John just stops and he starts describing certain characters. Last week we talked about the dragon, and the dragon is who? Well, today we're going to talk about the two beasts, which are um, the um, Antichrist and the false prophet. So tonight we'll sort of complete that whole unholy trinity that um, Satan seems to um, be setting up in the end times. And we're going to try to describe a little bit about how this is going to take place, when it's going to take place. But again, as we talked about a long, long time ago, not only is what John writing hard to understand because John is seeing things that he couldn't describe, um, a lot of it is wrapped up in mystery. A lot of it's not necessarily aimed for us to understand in full. Um, and a lot of it just gets a little bit confusing. So Revelation has a whole bunch of different interpretations, a whole bunch of different ways of going about it. And especially tonight when we get to the whole Mark of the Beast and 666 and what that is, um, there are a whole bunch of crazy, fun um, interpretations um, that we're going to walk through. So if you have your Bible, and I say that because I totally forgot my Bible at home, so I grabbed one of those um, visitor Bibles back there, which work. Um, so uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 13. And before we get going, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this study and the whole book of Revelation that, that you have promised to bless us for just going through. And Heavenly Father, I pray that as we go in tonight, and there's, again, a lot of symbolism and a lot of uh, crazy things going on, um, that we can focus in on, the, on what Revelation means, and that's the revealing of Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, I just pray that you clear our thoughts and take away all distractions and allow us to focus in on the things you would have us learn tonight. Give us wisdom to see things exactly how you see them. We love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's go ahead. Revelation chapter 13. Oh, by the way, if you have a um, smartphone, you can go to YouVersion, uh, type in Cornerstone Chandler. Once you do that, um, you will see the mind. Click on that and all tonight's notes. Um, and stuff will be there. So, Revelation chapter 13, and this is a continuation of where we left off last week with 12. Verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his full or his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. 
It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed by the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Verse 11, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image of honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast. So that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hands and on their foreheads. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. The number is 666. If there is a famous chapter in all of Revelation, we just read it. So many striking points, so many talking points. You got the mark of the beast. You got the Antichrist. You got the false prophet. You got Satan. You got the abomination that causes desolation. You've got a whole bunch of crazy things that are happening in chapter 13. So let's go ahead and look at the first piece, because chapter 13 can be split into two. The first half introduces the first beast, who we believe is the Antichrist. The second half introduces the second beast, which we believe is the false prophet. And that would complete the unholy trinity of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And why is it called the unholy trinity? Because it emulates and it mimics the real trinity. Satan is placing himself as God. The Antichrist is placing himself as Christ. And the false prophet is placing himself as the Holy Spirit. Throughout the Bible, you'll notice that Satan does a lot of things to mimic God, to try to emulate God's plan. And so let's look at um, verse 1 here. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of meat in just this very first verse. The dragon, who's the dragon again? Satan stood on the shore, some of your translations might say sand, of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each of its head bla a blasphemous name. So the dragon, Satan, stood on the shore of the sea. 
Many times in the Bible, and we talked about this um, already, anytime you see um, a description of something's described as the sea, a lot of times that's describing a mass of people or the nations. In other cases, the sea is referenced as chaos. Both those would work in this situation. As, as the beast comes out of, or as, as Satan um, is standing, he's standing on chaos and he's standing on nations. So the word sea there most likely references um, the nations, which means it's going to represent political power. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea, coming out of the nations. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Now, who is viewing this when he says, I saw? Who is viewing this? John. Where is John at this moment? Okay, now this is different, and we're going to actually read through. If you weren't confused by this, wait till we read through the next chapter. It's Daniel 7, okay? This is very similar. In fact, I believe it's the same prophetic viewing of what Daniel saw in Daniel 7. Now, Daniel is in a different place than where John is. Daniel is sleeping. Daniel is um, receiving his vision in a dream, and we'll read that in a few moments. But let's go back and look... And look at this. I saw the beast coming out of the sea, coming out of the nations. It had ten horns. Now, horns, we've talked about this as well, represents or symbolizes power or authority. Okay, so it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns. Okay, so the crowns... On the horns represents someone. Now, we don't know if it's a king or if it's a kingdom or if it's representing both king and kingdom. A lot of times in the Bible, they, they swap those back and forth, whether it's revolving a king or a kingdom. Because in Hebrew culture, it, it's one and the same. The king is the kingdom. Caesar is Rome. And we even do this in, in our modern lexicon. Um, the Bush administration. Okay, it, it talks about the Obama administration or kingdom. And so that, that's what, it, what it's talking about. So it could mean um, these crowns could represent either a king or a kingdom. And the seven heads. Now, many, many theologians that are looking into this look at the, the ten horns as ten future kingdoms or nations that are coming out of the seven heads. Horns come out of heads. And the seven heads, there, there is a debate on what those represent. Um, and and re- to be honest, it doesn't really matter. But one, one, pote- or one possibility is that the seven heads represent Rome. And it represents um, the famous, the seven hills where Rome is, or the seven mountains. And so it's talking about the ten nations that come out of the ancient Roman Empire. Which, if we know anything about Roman history, as Rome took over the modern world at that time, um, it got split out. And a lot of the nations in Europe are part of the old Roman Empire. Okay, And so that's why many believe that this ten-nation, sort of this ten-nation confederacy or union is going to be a European union. 
And in order for that to happen, these ten nations are going to have to become one. They're going to have to use sort of similar currency and all that. And we sort of see that playing out. You can't be dogmatic on that, but that's sort of where, where that interpretation is coming from. The other interpretation of the, the seven heads is the seven empires leading up to the end times. Okay? And so we go through this. We see the first famous empire, and that is what? You may remember? Okay. Okay, Egyptians, good. All right. So we have the Egyptian empire followed by who? Anybody remember? Let me make sure I got these in order so I remember correctly. Yes, Assyrian empire. What, what followed the Assyrians? Babylonian. <laughs> then after the Babylonian, we got the, the Persian, the Medo-Persian empire. And then after that, we follow Greece. And then after that, we go to Rome. Okay? Now, Rome was the current empire when this was happening. So there are six, the six famous empires of antiquity. Okay? Then, the next empire, the number seven, is one that will still be to come. If we look, and we'll get to this later, we go to Revelation 17. Right in the middle, it talks about, again, it brings up these seven heads, and it talks about five in the past... One that is current and one that is still to come. So one of the interpretations of the seven heads is it's the five past empires, the current empire at this time, which is Rome, and the future empire that comes out of Rome. Okay? Anybody confused yet? Okay? Not too bad. All right. So, so that's where, where we're at on that. So let's go back and let's read um, one again. The dragon Satan stood on the shore of the sea... And I saw a beast coming out of the sea, out of the nations, and it had ten horns, or ten nations, or represented ten nations, and seven heads. The ten crowns, basically the administrations, or the leaders of its horns, and on each head is a blasphemous name. Not only are there going to be leaders of these ten nations, but they're going to be blasphemous to God. They're going to be anti-God governments. Okay? Verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So with that, let's go back to Daniel 7. And again, we're going to try to tackle a lot in 30 minutes here. Daniel chapter 7, and again, this is different than how John's seeing it. John's actually up in heaven, he's watching this. Daniel is falling asleep and he's having a dream. So Daniel is probably seeing this literally. He's probably seeing this terrifying creature. John is probably seeing what it is symbolizing. Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar... King of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind, and he was lying as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were four were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Okay, or the great or the nations. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion. And it had wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off. And it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. 
And there before me was a second beast, which looked like that of a bear. It was raised up on, on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of the flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like that of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision, at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had a large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had, had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and his hair on his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Tens, ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch, because... Of the boastful words of the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. And the other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was, was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and was led into its presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and he will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him... The meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people, the most high, will receive the kingdom and will possess it um, forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. And its iron teeth and bronze claws and its the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled under the foot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on the head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others and that had eyes and a mouth and spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy place of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms. And it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will rise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change 
the set times and laws, the holy people will be delivered into the hands for a time, time, and half a time. But the court will sit, and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the Holy One of the Most High. His kingdom will be everlasting kingdom, and all the rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts. My face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Okay. <laughs> we felt sorry for John. What about Daniel? Okay, so <laughs> we look... We look at this prophecy. Now, Daniel, Daniel um, walked the earth about 500 years before Christ. And he also walked the earth before many of um, these other kingdoms um, were there. But he lived during the time of Babylon. And so he talked about the lion. He talked about the bear. And he talked about the leopard. Um, and then he talked about a, a lot of the things that we're looking at in Revelation 13. Sounded fairly similar, didn't it? Okay, you got the, the ten nations that, or the ten horns that come out. You've got the blasphemous um, leaders. You've got the one who comes and, and unites all of them. Um, and they will do this until the very end of the, the time, the three and a half years, to the very end of that. And then they will be thrown into the fire by who? Jesus forever and ever. So we, we see Daniel looking at this and, and prophesying about an event that's going to happen. And then we get to Revelation chapter 13. And we see this same event unfolding um, in front of John's eyes. So, in verse 2, the beast I saw, re- re- I saw resembled a leopard, but it had feet of those of a bear and a mouth of that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast, which is the Antichrist, his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. So here we have a depiction of the Antichrist gaining power. He's gaining power. He is, he's not like all the old ancient empires that, that, yes, they ruled the world, but they really didn't. This Antichrist will literally rule the entirety of the world. All will bow down to him. All will worship him. Okay? The Antichrist is also represented, and we looked at this earlier, as the rider on the white horse who brings diplomacy. If we look at the back of this, a short piece through diplomacy. The Antichrist is going to unify the nations. The nations that were in chaos will be unified, and all power and authority will be given to him. He will be the leader. He will be the spokesperson. Throughout history... People have been pointing to leaders and going, I'll bet you that's the Antichrist. I remember when I was growing up in the 80s, there was a time where, where, where I heard that Mikhail Gorbachev was the Antichrist because he had a birthmark on his head. That must be a fatal wound. And he was our enemy, so he's got to be the Antichrist. Anybody ever hear that, by the way, growing up in the 80s? Yep, he was evil, wasn't he? Um, and then those on Mikhail Gorbachev's side, well, well, it's got to be Ronald Reagan because Ronald Wilson Reagan each has six letters in his name, 666. He's the Antichrist. Ha! Huh. And then we go back through history. Well, it was Hitler. It was, it, yeah, we've heard Bush. We've heard Obama. We've heard um, Osama bin Laden. We've heard everybody pinpointed as the possible Antichrist. What we do know biblically is the Antichrist will wield amazing power. 
power that's very similar to what Hitler had. I remember um, in college, um, someone was, was saying, who do you think the greatest leader of the, um, of the 20th century was? And without doubt, I said, it was Hitler. It was Hitler. And I remember I was telling that to some of my friends at church. They're like, what? It's Billy Graham. Where it's, and they're like, how could you say Hitler? Are you a Nazi? Like, I'm like, seriously, no. Who else in the 20th century was able to lead like Hitler? Who could drive a nation, a Christian nation, to do what that nation did for well over 10 years? Who could rally? And and so the Antichrist is going to have that kind of power, that kind of, uh, of speech, but tenfold. Imagine the power that it takes to unite the world. To get the nations to agree. We can't even get our own nation to agree. It's 50-50. We're 49-49 and 2. I don't know what it is, but we can't get our own nation to agree. Imagine getting all the nations to agree. Imagine getting all the religions to agree. But yet someday that will happen. The Antichrist has incredible power. Apparently, the Antichrist is going to have a fatal wound, probably a little more than a birthmark on his head. And apparently, he's going to die and be resurrected. And we'll talk about that in a second, but let's keep going. On one of the heads of the beast, verse 3, the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast, the first beast, which is the Antichrist, People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. Now, this doesn't mean the whole world's going to worship Satan by going, by cutting chickens' heads off and stuff like that we would normally see with Satanism. Remember, if they worship anything but God, they're worshiping who? Okay? People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worship the beast and ask, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Who else has been, does that verse sort of sound similar to? Yeah, they said the same thing about God. Satan's got to be loving this right now. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months, the last half of the tribulation. It... It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Lamb who was slain since the creation of the world. What a powerful time. So as we look at the tribulation, the seven years, that's split into two, three and a half pieces. The first part of the tribulation is lame. It's hard. It's tough. You see that short time of diplomacy where everything gets united, but you see famine, you see war. This Antichrist is going to take over the world. He's going to have power, and it's going to be given to him. Now, there's two different thoughts of who actually gives him this power. 
Some say it's Satan who, who says, here you go. You have all the power I have to sway the nations. Some say it's God giving permission for all this to happen. Both are probably true. So here the Antichrist is, and he's gathering the world together, and everybody is worshiping. Those bumper stickers that say coexist, this is when it's going to happen. We're gonna, we're, there's going to be a time, hopefully we're not living in it, there's going to be a time when the world's going to get along, and they're all going to be following this one guy, and they're going to be worshiping the one who gave him this power. But it's not going to last long. Because he's going to turn. And right around halfway through the tribulation, and we'll get to this even more as we get to chapter 17, he's going to start doing some crazy things. So let's, let's keep going. Verse 9. Whoever has ears, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. Basically, um, in, in the end times... Um, if it is your destiny to be, be killed, you're, you're, gonna be, you're not going to be able to escape is basically what that's talking about. You're not going to be able um, to escape what's happening. And there's going to be a choice, and we'll talk about that in a second. You're either going to follow God, and you'll probably die for that decision, or you'll follow Satan. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Verse 11. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. Okay, so the first one came out of what? The sea, which, which most likely represents the nations or represents chaos. Coming out of the earth, most often throughout the Bible, the earth talks about, or land, when it talks about that, it's actually referring to Israel. Okay, so there is a possibility that the second beast, the second, or the false prophet, is going to come out of Israel. Again, there is debate on that. Um, it could just mean it comes out of a, a worldly, a earthly type religious system. Okay, the second beast comes out of the earth. It has two horns like a lamb. Okay, so again, horns represent authority, but this is a different type of authority. This isn't power, this isn't just like dictatorship authority. Two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. John's way of saying this is, a, <laughs> this is a wolf in lamb's clothing. Okay? So the first one's going to be a political power. The Antichrist is going to have political power. The false prophet's going to come from the religious bent. And he's going to have religious power. And he's going to be engaging the people to worship who? The first beast. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, again, whose fatal wound had been healed. And watch what happens with the second beast, the false prophet. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in view, or in full view of the people. Because of the signs it was given um, power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. In or, it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lives. Let's stop there. Okay, so the second beast, um, the false prophet, is causing great signs to happen. Okay, and by the way, Satan, Satan can do some pretty cool things. Some pretty amazing signs. 
Okay, we saw it back in the Exodus. We're seeing it here. He can do some signs. He can, he can mimic God. Okay, he can do certain things. And this false prophet is given all that authority, given all that power. Now, it says he causes fire to come out of heaven. What that looks like, we don't know. If that's literal heaven or if it's the sky, we don't know what that means. Um, but whatever it is, it's impressing people. Okay? It, it, he is doing miracles and signs. And by the way, all miracles, just because it's a miracle, doesn't necessarily mean it comes from God. Miracles are supernatural. Okay? Satan is supernatural. So all miracles... It doesn't mean it comes from God, okay? So this false prophet is performing miracles on behalf of the first beast. And then we see it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. So again, it's talking about the Antichrist. Put your finger there and turn to 2 Thessalonians. Bibles are crazy. I go from John to Revelation in like two turns. Okay, Second Thessalonians, and let's look at um, chapter two. Let's go ahead and start in verse one. Uh, Concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or by the word. By word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Do not let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, this is the Antichrist, is revealed. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything um, that is called God or his worship. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when... When I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at a proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds him back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming." Okay, so this is talking about, Paul's talking about the lawless one who is the Antichrist. And he's talking about, about there's something that is holding this back right now. Not necessarily this specific Antichrist, but something is holding back this power. And we believe that's the Holy Spirit. We believe that's the church that's indwelt with the Holy Spirit or the church people that are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And when they get taken out, then this lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. Okay, so now we get to about the halfway point of the tribulation, and this lawless one, the first beast, the Antichrist, sets us image up for himself in the temple. By that time, the temple has been built, and everything that he had garnered, all this um, worldwide respect, is all of a sudden going to turn, specifically with the Jews. They're going to see him set up this, this image, which is referred to as the abomination that causes desolation. An abomination is, not, uh, is a tra- tragedy or a travesty. And he sets up this travesty that causes a desolation, causes a mass dispersion. Okay, so he's going to set up this image, which is referenced here in verse 13. And watch what the second beast does, the false prophet. The second beast, verse 15 
was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. Yikes. So he sets up this image in the temple. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how that's going to go. But whatever happens, the false prophet, um, um, with his breath, basically, this, this thing comes and starts to talk. Now, the word here... The second beast was given the power to give breath. It doesn't say life. This doesn't say he created life. He does not have the power to do that. Only God has the power to do that. But whatever he does, he makes it seem like this thing comes alive. By the way, it's the false prophet does not have the power to resurrect the first, um, the Antichrist either. That's going to be a trick. Okay, everything Satan does mimics God. He is not God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is life. Only God can breathe life into things. Everything else is mimicking. Verse 16, It also forced all the people, great, small, rich, and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast, Or the number of its name. And we'll just finish it here. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. That number is 666. So in the tribulation, there's going to come a time where you will have to make a decision. And this is critical to understand. There is a time where you're going to have to make a decision. Do I follow God? Or do I follow Satan? This isn't, I'm going to follow God, I'm going to go to church. This isn't, I'm going to follow God and I'm going to sing songs. You're going to follow God with your life, basically. Because here's what happens. Every single human being is going to have to have this mark. This mark is going to control commerce. You will not be able to buy or sell without this mark. That means you cannot buy food. You cannot buy drink. You cannot buy land, you cannot buy oil, you cannot, you cannot buy anything without this mark. You, can also, you can't sell anything either. You can't have garage sales, fundraisers, yard sales. can't do any of that. You can't do anything without this mark. Where's the mark going to be placed? On the forehead or on the right arm? The right arm is what basically all transactions happened with. Okay, It's going to be known. It's not going to be like a hidden tattoo. It's not going to be like that. It's going to be something that everybody sees. What is the mark going to be? Well, for years, people say, well, it's going to be a tattoo. The Bible doesn't say what the mark's going to be. My guess is it's not going to be a tattoo. Is it going to be a computer chip? They've devised computer chips that can go in the tip of your finger. We don't know. But whatever it is, whether it is a computer chip and you have to scan your hand or your whatever it is, I mean, I don't know. And the technology is getting crazy. All you Intel and microchip people out there going, yeah, it's getting crazy. I remember when I got my computer here at Cornerstone, I was like, what's this little slit? He's all, slide your finger on it. And I was like, no. thing just read my fingerprint. I'm like used to Etch-a-Sketches and this thing's reading my fingerprint. Whatever this mark is, it's going to be obvious. So some questions about the mark of the beast. 
Can you refuse it and still get it put on you? No. They're not going to be running around, ah, you're going to hell, ah, you're going to hell. They're not going to do that. You have to willingly accept this mark. You have to willingly say, I will follow. It's hard. It's easy sitting right now in the purple chairs or standing up here on this thing and and going, oh, I would never accept the mark. I would never choose God over comfort. We do it all the time. Money doesn't mean anything to me. Really? I've really got, when I look at this, I've really got to look at myself and go, number one, I hope my clothes are laying on the floor and I'm not here. But two, if, if somehow we are here during this time, would I have enough courage to not take this thing? And it's easy maybe for some of us to go, I'll risk my own life. Are you willing to do that for your family? So many people in the history that have caved in to terrorism and to pressure, it wasn't because their own life was at risk. It's because their their child was brought in front or, or, or their family was brought in front and then they caved in. What is the pressure going to be like to take this mark? It can't be forced on you. You've got to willingly say, I'm going to follow. And once you take the mark, there is no turning back. There is no turning back. The number is 666. Does that mean we're going to have a 666? Don't know. Probably not. People started freaking out when a lot of the computer codes started with 666 years ago. Ah! Again, we don't know what 666 represents. There is a whole, you type in 666 on Google and you will, you'll be there forever looking at all the different theories as to what the number means, who it represents. Not only did Ronald Reagan have six letters in each of his three names when he moved out of the White House, his new address was 666. (laughs) That, That freaked some people out. No one knows what it means. But you will in the tribulation. There won't be any mistake. You will know. Six six six. Probably, if we know what the number six means symbolically, it's the number for man. It's incomplete. It falls short of seven of completion. Falls short of God. Some believe six 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 just rec- represents the unholy Trinity. The number means I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow this system. It's possible. Some look at the Roman numerals and go, wow, the, the I and the V, and the I is one, the V is five, and the X, and I know this because of the Super Bowls, the X is ten, and, and the C is fifty, and, and, and the L is a hundred, and, and, and you go on and on, and if you add those first six numbers of the Roman numeral, they add up to six, six, six. It's, it's crazy. There are, a lot of, there are a lot of cool things out there, but again, we don't know. When it asks us to calculate, it doesn't literally ask us to calculate and try to figure this out. It's asking us to comprehend what this means. Like if you're going to build a building, you need to calculate the sacrifice. You need to calculate the cost. 
In fact, Jesus was talking about this. So as we look at this, and again, I wish, I wish we had a whole bunch of time. There's a phenomenal um, Revelation Bible study on Sunday mornings that I encourage you guys to go to that, that you can really just dig in word by word. Um, but we, we just don't have enough time at the mine. But as we look at chapter 12 and chapter 13, as, and as we look at this unholy trinity, as we said last week, it's serious and it's bad. We believe that the Antichrist is going to rally the world. We believe we, we can get that out of the Bible. We believe that this false prophet is going to rally the world to worship this Antichrist. We believe the tribulation is going to be horrific. And we understand that there's going to be a time where we're going to be forced to make a decision. And that's going to be a tough decision. And, and we hope and pray that the view that the rapture happens at the beginning is accurate. But that calls us to the now. Many times we're forced now to make a decision. God or this. God or my finances. And if we think we can withstand this, but yet we can't, we withhold our finances now? God or time, God or pleasure, God or comfort. And, and, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. All the way back, remember the trees, all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Do I follow God's word? Do I follow God? Or do I act independently of God's plan? Tribulation is going to be bad. It's going to be crazy. And it gets worse. I want to encourage you guys, before we open up for questions... Starting next week, we're going to start walking through the end parts of the tribulation. We're going to start walking through the second coming. We're going to walk through the millennium. We're going to walk through the judgments. Not only the Bema Seat judgment, but also the great white throne. And, and we're going to start talking about what, what is hell, what is heaven. We're now getting out of the, the craziness of the tribulation a little bit. I mean, we're still going to be in there a little bit. But now's a great time to invite friends because we're going to start tapping into salvation. We're going to start talking about what it means to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we've got a lot of purple seats to invite friends to. So I want to encourage you to do that. But as you look at today, and you're probably going to go back and reread it. You're probably going to go Google. You're probably going to go back and look at Daniel 7. You might want to look at Daniel 2 as well. Prophecy's crazy. Prophecy's fun. But ultimately, Revelation is about the revealing of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is revealed through Scripture, and he will ultimately be revealed at the end of times. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Heavenly Father, we, we pray and, and we hope to be caught away with you before this time happens. But Heavenly Father, I just pray that you give those who believe in your name the strength to stand firm against the devil's schemes. Heavenly Father, I pray for today. I pray for this church. I pray for each and every soul that's in this room. Allow us to see things the way you see them. Allow us to see our time, our, our talents, our treasures the way you see them. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in an amazing nation and we pray for our nation. Heavenly Father, we pray for the leadership of our nation on both sides that they will turn to you. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Redeemer. That even though we have fallen short as man, we have this second opportunity to have a relationship with the Creator, with the life, the Creator of the universe, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, um, I pray even now that if there's anyone in here that does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, who has never asked Jesus into their heart to take over their life, Heavenly Father, I pray that you give them the courage to come talk to me afterwards. Talk to Mike or any of the staff. Because ultimately, that's the decision that no one else can make but ourselves. Give us the courage to stop running, but to turn our life to you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. All right, we have some time for questions. Um, so are there any questions? And again, you can email questions. You can use version. Um and a lot of people have been using that, which is great. A lot of people come out of the mind going, I gotta I gotta marinate on this a little bit before my question. Any questions out there? Ooh, did we hit it pretty good? Sweet, up, oh, there's one. Yeah, no, that's a great question, and, and skeptics have great questions. And again, a lot of times um, we demonize skeptics. The Bible calls us to test and affirm, and so I, I love I love that. Yeah, it, it's very. John would have known would have known this passage, and he would have known Daniel. Um, now, what, what do we say for Daniel? That's a whole different story. But John would have known that Jesus. Yes, yes, there are certain things that Jesus could have set up. Hey, go get the donkey. And that's not how Jesus sounded, but go get the donkey because I've got to ride on the donkey and all that. There are certain things that Jesus could not have set up. One being his being born of a virgin. His being born in Bethlehem. The way he died. What happened after he died. Okay, Jesus wasn't saying, I need to be buried in a tomb. I need, you know, he's not doing this stuff. Okay, so there are, certain, um, there are certain things that, yeah, you could probably set up but the great the great amount of the prophecies no man can set up and then that's taking each prophecy by themselves you start putting these prophecies together and the odds are astronomical the odds are 10 with so many zeros it becomes impossible for these things to be fulfilled by one man and so uh, that's what i would say yeah, there are certain things that, that, can be, that can be set up, that could be revisionist history. We can look and we, we, we can look at back and, and revise. But there are so many prophecies that, no, no, when you look at them and the fact that they've been fulfilled, um, it, it can only point um, to a supernatural. So that's, that's, that's what I would say. So, yes, yes, sir. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the rapture when it was going to happen? 
reveal the church. Uh, mm -hmm. Christ gave him that uh, opportunity. He didn't seem to have any problem with uh, it being imminent. He felt it was going to happen at any point in time. Uh, and so uh, it would seem to me, since the whole mystery of the church was given to him, that uh, since he thought it was going to be that we would not experience the wrath, that mm -hmm. he pretty much put a, a gold seal on us being raptured, the, the believers. Yeah, I... I am 99.9% .9 sure that the rapture, um, even though we fully understand the word rapture does not appear in the Bible, but w I fully understand that the, the catching away of the church and as the spirit is taken away, I believe that that does happen. And I think the Bible backs that up pretty strongly that that happens at the beginning of the, the tribulation. Okay. I believe there are many things that point to that, not only the passage in um, 2 Thessalonians. The fact that the church, now we look at the entire New Testament, the church is talked about nonstop. And all of a sudden, after chapter 4, all the way through the tribulation, the church disappears. It's not mentioned. And you would think the church would be mentioned. So um, there are so many things that point to the fact that the rapture happens at the beginning. Okay. However, I'm not going to stand up on stage and be dogmatic about that. Because there are other theological beliefs that say, you know what, I, I believe that the rapture is going to happen after. I believe we're going to be raptured up and come right back down with the second coming. That, that's fine. Um, and it's one of those minor things that we shouldn't major on. I hope it happens at the beginning. And as you state, I, I believe it does happen at the beginning. But there are a lot of different theological views that talk about whether, whether the second coming happens at the beginning of the millennium, at the end of the millennium, and we'll get to that. Um, but for me, I, I believe that the rapture specifically is a pre-trib um, rapture. And I believe the Bible bears that out. But again, you can't be dogmatic on, on that. Okay? Quick question. Uh, do you believe that all Christians will be raptured? Or will, be, will there be some that won't be looking for Christ's return? Or maybe don't buy into the rapture? Yeah, I... Yeah, for me, I, I, I don't believe in a partial rapture. I believe that the full church, and what I mean by church, is not those that are sitting in church. Because I think, on, especially if the rapture happens on a Sunday morning, that'll be crazy. But uh, I do believe that those who have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and have had the Holy Spirit, as it says in Ephesians, um, indwell in them and, and, and that have sealed them. That those people, because the Holy Spirit's sealed and the Holy Spirit can never be taken out, when the Holy Spirit's taken out of the earth, they naturally have to go with him. So I believe that all born-again Christians will be raptured with also those children and those under the age of accountability that have not been able to make that decision yet. I believe those are the ones that will be raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. Okay, my question is directly out of the scripture. Okay. Chapter three of about the idea of the healed fatal wound on the Antichrist. What's the symbolism of that? In chapter what? Thirteen. Thirteen verse the, the fatal wound. Yeah. The basically what's going to happen, and because later on it says it's a sword. Um, what's going to happen is whoever the Antichrist is is going to have some kind of issue where. It is seen that he ha he got a mortal wound, 
in his head and that he's dead and then that he will be resurrected, which is going to cause everybody to go, that's the guy I'm going to follow, okay? And so that, that's what it is. I do not believe biblically that it is a real death because I believe only God can resurrect, okay? So I think, it, it, I think it's a fake, it's a trick. And by the way, that mortal wound, we talked about Gorbachev. When Kennedy got shot, there were a lot of people waiting for a couple days going, What's going to happen? Um, and so, I, yeah, I believe it's going to be something that, that is going to look or it's going to be said that this person died and they came back to life, but, but it's going to be a trick. So, all right, I got one more question, then I can get more up there. I don't want the kaboomers to come at me. Any others out there? Yes. Okay, so the theory that the seven-year tribulation, could that just be symbolic? Could it actually be talking about an age? Um, I believe biblically that it, it is actually, a, the Bible bears out that it's actually a, a, a literal seven-year period. Um, but yeah, there are those thoughts that it, it, it's, it's a different age. It, it, it could be. I, I just don't think the way it's described, it's described in, in some type of age format. Um, for one, I don't think an Antichrist or someone's going to be able to live long enough to be the Antichrist and the ruler of one government for a long age. So. All right. I will get your question afterwards. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for each and everything you do for us. We thank you for questions. We thank you for those who, who come to the mind um, looking to study. And Heavenly Father, I, I pray that um, even as we leave tonight that no one takes my word for anything that everybody goes into the scripture and studies for themselves. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth and its purity. Um, and Heavenly Father, I pray that we do not merely listen to the, what the word says and deceive ourselves, but we actually go out and do it. And we thank you for those who come to the mind faithfully. We thank you for those who are here for the first time. We pray that um, as we start concluding the end times, and we start talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we will see um, friends that are brought. We thank you so much for each and everything you do. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for coming again. It was a lot of fun. And if you have any questions, I'll be down front.